The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Bibles, page 682, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23, reading the account of what happened with Herod and Jesus' escape to Egypt. Listen to God's word. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, He was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. These verses describe for us what we might call the sorrowful side of the Christmas story, Herod's malicious rage, his pride, his jealousy, which results in the murder of infant boys. This is not the typical material for the annual Christmas play, is it? It is nice many times to contemplate angels and the shepherds and the wise men and the star and even a lowly stable and a manger. But the murder of babies, that's a part of of what we might prefer to leave out of the story. But this, too, is part of God's Word, and this, too, is an aspect and an important part of the story of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, into this world. What can we learn about God's purposes from the reality of the Herods of this world? The first point I want us to see is this. Herod's wicked deed should remind us of the type of world into which Jesus Christ came. 
Herod's actions remind us of the fallenness of this world. Herod the Great, as he was known, was a cruel tyrant. Here's a man who had some of his own sons murdered because he feared they might be a threat to his throne. Here's a man who, history tells us, when he went to plead with Emperor Augustus about a certain thing, orders that his wife, Miriam, be executed if he meets with death. Actually, he he is successful and he returns, but Miriam finds out about his secret orders. You can imagine her icy reception to him on his return. Actually, it wasn't long after that that Herod has her executed anyway on a trumped-up charge of adultery. Here's a man who, when he knew he was finally near death, orders that all the principal men in Judea should be called to him, and as many of them who answered his call and came were imprisoned and ordered that they be killed at his death. You see, Herod knew that the nation would greet the news of his death with jubilation. And even if few would mourn for him at his death, he wanted to ensure that many would at least mourn at his death. And so his terrible plan. But as it turned out, this command was never carried out when he died. Well, so much for a a brief, very brief glimpse of Herod. It should come as no surprise to us that someone willing to murder his own offspring should not hesitate to have a dozen or two infant boys in the vicinity of Bethlehem murdered out of his fear about this so-called Messiah. And it was the Messiah. And it was into such a world that this world characterized by rulers such as Herod, that Jesus Christ came. The message of Christ's incarnation is not a message of just blissful ignorance to the sorrow and the wickedness of this world. Yes, it's a message of great joy, but his coming has this sorrowful side to it. He came to save his people from their sin. He came into a world that was clearly very dark with sin. And Herod is just one example of that. Our desperate need for a Savior because of our sin, you see, is part of the Christmas story. We see the effects of the fallen and sinful state of this world all around us. The absence of loved ones who have died, that last great enemy that is yet to be removed, and we know we're not immune from its effects, and so there is that grief in this life. We see the sicknesses, the injuries, the failing health. We see conflict even in our own homes and families and church, some families and marriages even broken and divided because of sin many times. We see children alienated from parents and parents alienated from children. We all see all kinds of suffering in the world, but maybe one of the most disheartening things that we see is our own remaining sin in our own hearts. And we might read this story, this account in Matthew 2 and just think, how could Herod ever do such a thing? 
how could a leader do these kinds of things? And yet we know that it's not unusual for leaders in the world to do these kinds of things. And if we are honest before God, as we look at our own hearts, we know that the seeds of these kinds of sins are in our own hearts. If left unchecked by the grace of God, that they would actually, those kinds of seeds of sin would grow to the same proportion as Herod's sin. And we know that it is only by the grace and mercy of God to us in Jesus Christ that we do not go down that road or we have not gone down that road. And we look and think about Herod in horror and disgust at his deed And then we hear words such as the ones Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, and now we're applying it to us, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And isn't that an application to our own hearts? Some of you probably had to read the novel in high school, Lord of the Flies, about this group of children who are shipwrecked on an island, and they survive, and they form a kind of society there. But you would think that the way the world looks at the, the innocence of our hearts, that there would be a perfect society there because it wasn't spoiled by adults. But of course, we know that that's not the case. And this novel sets forth the uh, very horrible kind of society that was formed because of the nature of remaining sin, sin in even children's hearts. The joyful news of Christmas that is that even into such a world, Jesus Christ came. The Bible tells us that Jesus came into a dark world to deal with the root problem. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's the reality of the world that Herod represents. The second main thing we want to see, though, has to do with the purposes of God through Herod and men like that. Herod's wicked deed should remind us that even evil circumstances are subject to God's purposes. Even evil circumstances are under the purposes of of God. Even this terrible deed was not outside the realm of God's providence and his overruling for ultimate good, as mysterious and as deep as that fact is. In fact, one of the themes of Matthew's gospel, especially seen here in chapter 2, is the theme that Jesus' birth and his early circumstances are a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We see it in verse 15 where it says, And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son, quoting from Hosea. And then in verse 17, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. And there's that quote from Jeremiah about weeping. And then verse 23, And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, He will be called a Nazarene. There's this repetition again and again. Matthew emphasizes this. All the circumstances of Christ's birth and life are part of the fulfillment of God's plan. Herod's scheming and his murdering were not outside 
the providence of God. These things did not come as a surprise to God. It was not as if God was only one step ahead of Herod, trying his best to outwit him. No, this had been foretold of old. Out of Egypt I have called my son. It was all part of God's plan. It was not just the best that God could somehow do, working with things the way they were. No, it was part of his all-wise, all-good plan, which would glorify his name and redeem sinners. Well, you might respond to what I'm saying in kind of in these terms. Well, it might be easy for you to say, but what about the parents of those infant boys? I've read that losing a child is the most difficult experience of this life, the deepest grief, and I'm sure that that's probably true, if not all the time, a lot of the time. We had the Amish family across the street from us just this past Christmas time. We didn't find this out till the spring, and we were over at their little farm stand, and the wife told my wife that when she asked how things were, well, their little boy, their firstborn, who was probably four or five, died of meningitis last Christmas. One of those shocking, just grievous things. You wonder if they could have gotten him to the hospital faster, if he might have lived. Certainly a deep grief to them. But what does the Bible say to these parents? What does the Bible say about all the Herods of this world in light of the purposes of God? I believe that God says to us a number of things, and the first is this. God's purposes are so deep and so great that they even include the Herods of this world. God's purposes are so deep and so wonderful that they even include the Herods. They include the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Mao Zedongs, the Osama bin Ladens, the Saddam Husseins. They include every evil ruler who ever lived on this earth. It's all part of God's good plan. And, and so as we know that the Bible tells us we can trust in God, we know that there are times that we can't plumb the depths of the per- purposes of God. We know that Job couldn't understand what God was doing in his life and that God's purposes are many times beyond tracing out. And so Paul can write in Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. God's purposes are deep, and they include all the evil of this world, that he is able to remake these things and in the end bring good. But this brings us to the second part of the the answer to that, and that is, Even in the face of seemingly senseless suffering, the heart of God is seen in the sending of his Son. It may be that in this life we can never understand the connections between the evil things that we see in this life and what God is doing. But one thing that God has made very plain to us is that his heart of love and grace is revealed in the sending of Jesus Christ into this world. Even when the suffering seems senseless, Johnny Erickson in her second book 
records and puts in the book a number of letters she received after she wrote her first book when she recounts about her accident and the fact that she's paralyzed. And, And after she wrote that first book, she got letters from all over the United States from people describing the senseless suffering that they or loved ones have experienced. And Johnny records these in one of the chapters of that book and says, basically, I don't have answers, but one answer I do have, and that is that Jesus Christ came into this world. We might say, God didn't spare those innocent boys whom Herod killed. It was part of what he was doing in some deep, mysterious way, but we also know that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He didn't spare Jesus Christ. God so identified with our brokenness and our condition that he sent Jesus to come in humility to the cross to save us from our sin. It's interesting in the book of Acts chapters 2 and 4, there's this interesting and deep juxtaposition of the purposes of God and the wicked deeds of men. We find this in Acts 2, 23, and in Acts 4, 27. But in Acts 2, when Peter is preaching, he comes to the place of describing what's happened, and he says, this man, Christ, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. So there's the purpose and the wisdom and the sovereignty of God But then the verse goes on to say, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Both of those realities are put side by side in one verse. The purpose and foreknowledge of God, but with the hands of wicked men. Both of those are true, you see. And the same thing can be said of Acts 4, verses 27 and 28. There we read, indeed, Herod, now this isn't the same Herod, this is another Herod, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. There's the wickedness of mankind set against God. But notice the next verse. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. There's the mystery of the sovereignty of God, even over the evil deeds in this life. And that's shown most dramatically in the cross that was planned by God, purposed by God. As Luke writes, as he quotes here, he said, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand. That was the will of God. And yet, God used wicked men to put Christ to death. And God was not the author of the sin. Amazing. The wicked purposes of human beings and the good purposes of God side by side. Don't you wonder if any of the mothers or dads of those infant boys were still alive about 30-some years after Bethlehem and what occurred, and if they had any idea that the one who had been spared, Jesus, was now not being spared, was now on that dusty road to Golgotha to bear our sins on the cross. Were any of them still alive? It wouldn't surprise me that some of them, Bethlehem was only about seven miles away from Jerusalem. You just wonder if any of them were in the crowds or if any of them got the news after the events and the apostles began to preach 
and say these things. You wonder if their hearts burned within them as they heard these things and thought, this is part of God's plan. You wonder if they were able to better at that point face the grief of what had occurred 30-some years beforehand because now they saw that the sinless Son of God was not spared but was given up for our sake. But the third aspect of the answer that we have, I believe, to the Herods of this world is this. The purposes of God are not complete. The coming of Jesus Christ into this world, his cross, his resurrection from the dead, these things are the apex of God's mighty acts in the history of this world. But these are not the final act of the play, so to speak. The first coming of Christ looks forward to the second coming of Christ when there will be a completion of all the purposes of God, then there will be the grand and final summation of all of what God is doing. And every believer of every time and every place will be rejoicing with one another in the Lamb of God who was slain. And sin and death we know will be destroyed and Satan and his host cast into the lake of fire and the great and final judgment of God And the Herods of this world know more to oppress the people of God. The book of Revelation makes it clear that until Jesus Christ returns, we can always expect that there will be the Herods of this world. And what's one of the main themes of the book of Revelation? It's this, that Christians are called to persevere and patiently endure. That theme shows up in the book again and again and again. The saints suffering, praying, many dying, and yet there's the call for them to persevere. And that theme that the Lamb of God has triumphed and will triumph fully. A number of months ago, a pastor in the African nation of Zimbabwe wrote an open letter in World Magazine, and maybe some of you read that. As you probably know, the corruption of President Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe has created massive suffering in that nation. Very little food, especially to the poor there, very little clean water to drink, and so people drink water that's very polluted, and as a result, there's all kinds of dysentery and disease and sickness and death. And even the roads of that nation becoming impassable because of neglect with giant holes in them and things like that. Just the very, the very basics of life are not even there because of a corrupt government. And President Mugabe may not have ordered the execution of baby boys like Herod did, but you can be sure that his greed and pride and corruption have caused the deaths of thousands of little boys and girls in Zimbabwe in the past few years. A very sad situation. But what amazed me about this pastor's letter describing the terrible state of life in Zimbabwe is that this pastor is also filled to overflowing in describing the faithfulness and the goodness of God even through this experience. And he describes how many Christians who have almost nothing are so quick and joyful to help those in need. And also describing how God has even used these dire national straits to purify the church there through suffering and to teach them more deeply what it means 
to pray to God. And he writes how they are strengthened in hope in a God who is sovereign and who will one day usher in a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus Christ will return. There is the church in the fires of affliction and suffering, being purified in faith to trust her Savior and Lord. Paul Miller, who's written a very good book on prayer, concludes his book with a great little chapter on the fact that our lives in this life are all unfinished stories and that the final conclusion to all of our stories does not come to completion until the finer, final chapter of God's great story for this world. In other words, Paul says that there are parts of your life that you cannot fully understand now and that you will only understand in glory. And that affects the way we pray in this life. But this author tells about one of their six children that they have raised. Her name is Kim, and now she's about 27 or 28 years old. But a number of the illustrations in the book about prayer have to do with this daughter, Kim, who uh, has a number of difficult handicaps from birth. And now, at this age, she's still never been able to speak. But she actually uses a portable speech computer that has all these different kinds of keys, not normal typewriter keys, but it's a very interesting new device that's been developed in the past decade or so. And so in the past five or ten years, she's learned how to use it, and she can speak with her computer voice very fast, just like you or I would speak. And Paul recounts an incident when a little girl comes up to Kim, and they're eating dinner, and this little girl asks Kim, who's 25 or so now, why don't you speak? And Kim typed on her speech, computer, I will have a beautiful voice in heaven. This is a neat response. And isn't that the ultimate answer to all the unfinished stories of our lives? No matter what the Herods of this world do, no matter what the suffering of your life might involve, no matter what the brokenness of your life right now might be, all of God's purposes will one day be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what the story of Herod tells us. This doesn't contradict the grand purposes of God. In fact, it's all part of the great story of redemption that God has brought about for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are such a God who is able even to work through the Herods of this world, that you are able and you tell us you do fulfill every one of your purposes for us. Help us to walk in that kind of trust in you, knowing that you are our God and that if you did not spare your own son but gave him up for us all, how will you not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Thank you for that promise through Jesus Christ. Amen.